With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. About a few days later, they called me. They said, yep, this company is going out. If you want to be able to do this, you have to, do it. You have to hurry up. So we required first month's rent as a deposit. So you need $35,000 to get started. But all I had saved was $20,000. So I remember, but I'm like, dude, I'm $15,000 short. Okay, what am I gonna do? This is Finding Founders, a podcast showcasing the vibrant entrepreneurial spirit of Los Angeles and our journey to find the founders responsible. I'm Samuel Donner, and today on the show, we talk to Sam Bakhtiar, doctor, author, podcaster, and bodybuilder extraordinaire. Sam is the founder of the Camp Transformation Center, which now has over 100 locations nationwide. The camp is a radically different kind of gym. It pieces together components that catalyze weight loss and fitness goals, from community support and group training to health and nutrition. He's dedicated his entire life to the art of bodybuilding, working his muscles in the gym and his mind in the time outside of it. Healthy living is clearly something that's vital to Sam. In fact, he couldn't even sit long enough to record this interview. Instead, we talked to him from his treadmill. Are you on the treadmill? Oh yeah, you know, I'm multi-tap, man. Rather than sitting and, and, and doing podcasts and stuff like that, I might as well burn some calories and get in shape. Sam has seen enormous success in his business. The community that he has built has deep ties with followers committed enough to starting their own camps. But he wasn't always big in either the literal or figurative sense. Rewind a few years and he was just a scrawny refugee from Iran. It was awesome, man. Some of my earliest memories were so ha- very happy memories because all of our my family lived very close by. It was always nine, 10, 12 of us going places and doing things. And uh, it, was, it was really fun until that uh, they said that we were going to war. You know, when I was, uh, you know, when I was three years old, I remember literally every night we get rolling blackouts. They shut off the electricity in the whole city because they didn't want the plane to find out where they were and where to bomb. You hear sirens and then everybody rushed to their basement, you know, or, or under a bunker to kind of protect themselves in case the bomb dropped on them. Now that I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. But at that time, it was just another day living, and I thought that was normal. Sam was living in the early years of Ayatollah's Iran, a place of compulsory worship, military conscription for young boys, and a growing anti-American sentiment. The United States was the great Satan, according to Khomeini. 
It was the land of libertine warmongers who lived to excess. Sam watched the United States through the television, his peephole into the West through the blinkered media landscape of post-revolution Iran. The images he saw somewhat proved Khomeini's point. In Dallas and Dynasty, he saw the vices of the patricians dressed to the nines, clinking champagne glasses in the heart of America. Watching the muscle-bound squad from the A-team, he got the gun-toting, ass-kicking version of America. However, the America that greeted his newly immigrated family definitely wasn't anything close to that image. And then when I was approaching, you know, 11 years old, my mom was like, well, we got to figure something out. We got to leave this country because they were recruiting, you know, young boys as, as little as 12, 13 years old to go to military, you know? And my mom was like, well, I don't want my only son to go to military and die. We left the country as refugees of war. We went to France. And um, then we applied to come to the United States as refugees of war. And uh, here we are. I imagine that growing up, just because like the U.S. is such a media powerhouse, right? And so there are television shows that originate from the U.S. that showcase a certain lifestyle. I was wondering, coming into the U.S. like from France, what what was your perception of what life was like over here? My research, you know, at that time was like, okay, I'm going to watch American TV shows. Back then, you know, the American TV shows were like Dallas. There was this show called Dynasty, and there was a show called The Eighteen, and I wrote some of my favorite shows. American shows, but in, that sh in those shows, they portrayed America as everybody is kind of like millionaires, you know, and everybody had Bentleys and swimming pools and mansions. So I thought I was going to come to America. It was just going to be, you know, uh, it's going to be the perfect place, most beautiful place in the world. And I was expecting to go to maybe the rich part of Dallas. You know, I was expecting to maybe go to Beverly Hills, but I went to a little town called Sharon, Pennsylvania. As soon as I, I got outside, I saw pimps, prostitutes, and drug dealers. It was just totally like, I got out of here. I'm like, wait a second. I thought I was going to come where it was a bunch of skyscrapers and beautiful buildings and mansions. And I'm here with a bunch of uh, buildings that are broken windows and they're old and, and it, you know, abandoned buildings. And, and I'm like, what is going on? It was a real culture shock. Where were the mansions? The A-Team was nowhere to be found in Podunk, Pennsylvania. He hadn't tuned into any television programs about pimps and drug dealers in abandoned buildings. Sam didn't recognize the United States he landed in. And they didn't recognize him. There was, there was nobody my kind nowhere in that radius. <laughs> It was like Moses parting the Red Sea. There was on this side, there was black guys, black people. And on this side, there was white people. And they were kind of sizing me up and they're like, well, you're not one of us. Well, you're not one of us either. Then what the hell are you? I didn't wear the same kind of clothes as everybody else. Now, I went, I went to, I went to uh, school with a little briefcase. 
I stood out like a sore thumb. In a racially bifurcated city of blacks and whites, there was no room for an Iranian kid. He was truly a stranger in a strange land, a really strange land. America, the land of big gulps, SUVs, and I'll supersize that. To Sam, it was a big place, too big for someone like him to belong. He didn't speak the language. He didn't play the national sports. He didn't look like the other kids. But maybe, he thought, maybe if I could be big like Americans, I could find some way to fit in. So Sam began taking steps to get bigger and better physically. It's so funny. This morning, I was just thinking about my daughter. My daughter is about to turn 11. That's such a special age for me because that's when I came to the United States. And I was thinking about on the way home from gym this morning. I'm like, what if I just took my daughter right now out of her comfort zone, out of all her friends and everything she has, take her to a whole different country where she didn't belong, she don't know the language, and now she has to fit in. You know, it will, it will totally break her. And I just saw, and I saw that, and that's what happened to me. A huge part of human need is feeling to belong to something, especially if you're preteen years and teenage years. And that's where you get in trouble because you want to feel like you're a part of something. I'm not black. I'm not white. I don't speak the language. So let me figure out something that I can belong to. Tomorrow throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on. Oh, soccer. And that's what that's the sport that I played all my life ever since I was a little kid, three years old. And now I come over here, I want to play soccer. So I told this guidance counselor. So and then she told me, you know what, we don't have a soccer team. Now all of a sudden I have nothing to belong to. You know, so I'm like, okay, football, American football. I'm like, I don't know nothing about. I just see like people get hit at each other and that's not really what I like to do. Other countries see American football as very barbaric. And, and, and that's how I saw it. I love watching American football now. I mean, like, I love, I love the game, you know, but at the time I was like, oh man, that's, that's not me, right? So then I'm like baseball. And I, man, I'm, I hate to tell you this, but to this day right now, I don't understand baseball. But basketball back then, at least I knew what it was. I saw it before and I never played it, but I knew that you had to at least put the ball into the hoop. So I tried out for the basketball team. I was like, hey, this is, this is my thing. And you know, finally I'm gonna get to belong to something. And 23 people tried out for the basketball team. 22 made it and one didn't make it. And the one that didn't make it was yours truly. I walked back like two, three miles home, crying the whole time in the cold, you know, went home, shut the door. My mom comes like, what happened? Why are you crying? I said, mom, I don't want to be in this country anymore. Nobody likes me. You know, people are making fun of me. I'm getting bullied. And, um, you know, I didn't make the team and I, I should have made the team. And, and my mom said, Sam, she goes, as long as you're willing to pay, put in the work, as long as you're willing to pay the price, you can do whatever you want. You can make the basketball team. You can be a kind of scientist. You can be whatever you want. So here's a game plan. Why don't you, after school, 
you know, walk to the boys club, which is a mile away, practice till five, get better at basketball. I pick you up after work at five o'clock, we'll go home, eat, sleep, and then you do the same next year and then try out next year. Sam, an emigre singularly preoccupied with acceptance in a new culture, was forced to watch as 22 of his American peers were accepted to the team, leaving him the sole one out, as if he needed more proof that he was alone, an outcast. That's where his mom stepped in. She wasn't too familiar with basketball, but she was intimately familiar with success through hard work. And she would make certain her son took tips from mom. So Sam pulled himself out of the dumps and began writing his own destiny, a story that would take a pivot out of left field. To get better at basketball, so I started shooting basketball, shooting basketball, I started getting a little better and better. But about two months into it, I was walking down and I saw these guys, and they're all were these guys that are like walking out like this, you know, we're all huge. And at the time, you know, the new Arnold movies were out. Sylvester Stallone with the Rocky movies and you know, all you know, Commando, you know, Commando movie was hot. This Green Beret's gonna kick your big ass. I eat Green Berets for breakfast. And right now I'm very hungry. You know, all those movies were out. And I used to look at Arnold and Sylvester Stallone. I'm like, man, I want my arms to look like that. I remember watching Arnold and I was like literally paused on looking at his bicep. I'm like, oh my God. I was like infatuated with with, with, with him. And I'm going like, okay, I want to go see what these guys are doing. You know, I never want to be average. I, and, and we didn't come to America to be average. You know, why would I want to be average? I can just be average in my own country. And I was like, oh, I want to be strong like this guy. You know, I want to, I want to look like that. And that also, it gets me to belong to something. Sam's first impression of the States may not have held up to his A-team expectations. But all of that changed when he went to the gym. There, he saw the barrel-chested macho men of his cheesy action flicks pop out of the screen and pump iron right before his eyes. It was an epiphany. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone were, in fact, real people. He could look like them if he tried hard enough. And the wildest revelation was that these real-life gym rats weren't the stone-cold killers he'd seen in Terminator or Demolition Man. Their hard exteriors hid the marshmallow men that lay beneath. At first, I wouldn't go when they were there because I was I was too scared and afraid of what they would think of me. And if you know anything about free weights is that when you're first starting out, it's probably not a good idea to lift weights by yourself because you need a spotter. And so many times I've dropped the weight on my chest. So I literally had to roll it off of my chest. And the next thing you know, I have black and blue marks all over my chest because I almost got crushed by the weight. But I remember one time I was just lifting there by myself. And since so the big guys came in, they were really nice. You know, they were like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, and next thing you know, I'm like, wait a second. They're not like monsters. They're actually cool people. They lift like monsters. So I kind of formed a brotherhood with them. And it kind of took me under the wing. After working out for a few months, I developed what I call baby muscles. Baby muscles are muscles that you can only tell on yourself. Nobody else can tell on you. So I became infatuated, you know, that how you know, working out and eating better could not only change my body, but it also changed my mindset. It also, you know, increased my self-esteem because my self-esteem at that point was in the gutter. And now I'm stronger, 
Now I feel better about myself now, better self-esteem. And now I see the whole world differently, you know, and that was the beginning of the beginning of the end. I knew that this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Here's a quote from an immigrant who came to the U.S. with only pocket change and a dream of being big. The body is not used to uh, maybe the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th rep with a certain weight. So that makes the body grow then, going through this pain barrier, experiencing uh, pain in your muscles and aching and just then go on and go on and then go on. And this last two or three or four repetitions, that's what makes actually the muscle then grow. And that uh, divides then one from a champion and one from not being a champion. If you can go through this pain barrier... That was Arnold Schwarzenegger. In order to grow muscle, you need to tear it down. Only when you max out on that last set, your aching muscles failing to do one more rep, do you succeed. Sam had been torn down and maxed so many times at this point, but all of it was necessary for growth. When I started seeing a little bit of results, I literally was like, wow, this is cool. Because not only I'm seeing results on the physical, but I also see results in my inner game. And I really became infatuated in learning more. And I knew that I wanted to help others eventually go through what I've gone through. You know, I never thought that all of a sudden a kid who came to America being bullied, being called all kinds of bad names, all of a sudden to belong to something, you know, and that's when I knew I was gonna do that the rest of my life. I said, all right, I'm going to dedicate my life about learning anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, nutrition, biochemistry, and exercise physiology to optimize everything. And once you get to where you want to better yourself, then you also look at other areas that you want to better yourself. You know, and and that led to what I'm doing right now is what I'm doing, mentoring and coaching and anything like that, because I'm a firm believer in life. God has given you a superpower for you to improve and get better. And if we're not using that superpower that God has given us, you know, no other species have that superpower. We do. Sam sees self-improvement as a spiritual obligation. The propensity to improve is a gift from God. To him, when someone throws in the towel after the smallest of setbacks, that person is squandering God's gift. However, Sam understands that this growth isn't always intuitive. He himself may have trashed this holy bestowment if it wasn't for a little outside encouragement. Perhaps this is why he remains so devoted to paying it forward, seeking opportunities to aid others and bestowing whatever encouragement he can. I feel like it's so much easier to give when you felt hardship. Like you felt the hardship of being the outsider. You know what that transition feels like, feeling the outsider and transitioning to being accepted. How did you feel like that empathy developing as you started acquiring this knowledge, as you pursued bodybuilding more intensively? Well, you know, you kind of see yourself in others. So it just all becomes back full circle, right? And you want to pay it forward and you want to help others because nobody can do it alone. You know, I was fortunate enough to be around some cool people that, you know, you know, took me in, which but they didn't have to. And now it's my turn to kind of pay it forward and 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 help the the little scrawny guy, like, you know, to 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 get stronger and and to get bigger and and to increase his uh, self esteem and 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 self worth. 
When Sam didn't make the basketball team, his mom inspired him to practice and progress. When he couldn't get the bar off his chest, his gym mates spotted him, pushing the limits to get stronger. Now, Sam felt obligated to do his part, to give back, to be the person helping that scrawny kid searching for community. It was sacrilegious not to. However, he and his parents didn't quite see eye to eye on this. You know, ever since I was a little kid, mom said, Sam, if you want to be successful in life, you, there's only three things you can, you can do to be successful. You know, study to become a lawyer, an engineer, or a doctor. And I prefer you become a doctor. So honor her, I said, all right, I'm going to get my doctor's degree. So I started doing some research on what doctor has to do with bodybuilding, basically. Muscles, bones, origin, insertions, nutrition. And at the time, Dr. Chiropractic was the only doctor program. So I decided I want to be a chiropractor. So I went to Penn State and I studied pre-medicine and nutrition. Then I applied to Los Angeles College of Chiropractic. The whole time when I was in school, though, not only did I study everything that had to do, like I said, with the human body, but also right after I studied it, I went right to the gym and I applied all the principles that I've learned in college and nutrition and, and magazines. I come up with my own routines. You know, I was like a total nerd. I would just became a student of human performance. How can I add strength? How can I add muscle? How can I lose fat? How can I feel better? You know, how can I improve? I first discovered my passion. And then I found out how to make a living out of it. I believe that that's the only way to happiness. With an understanding of the science behind bodybuilding, Sam could wrest more control over his life. He could be the architect of his own body, the author of his own destiny. Bettering himself became a science, and he became both a student and master of that science. So the whole time I was in college, I applied to be a personal trainer. And I'll tell you right now, nothing is more fulfilling than helping others. Nothing is more fulfilling than somebody saying, Sam, you changed my life. Once you start having people praise you because you actually made a difference in their life, there's no way you can just go do a job that disturbs you anymore. You know, you kind of get addicted to making changes in this world, making it in the world. Tony Robbins has a famous quote that I live by. It says, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. So the fact that I'm able to provide for my family and be able to change people's lives for the better, you know, I'm on top of the world. Sam didn't totally understand the Tony Robbins mantra when he first started hitting the gym. It wasn't until he attained fulfillment that he could make the distinction between success and fulfillment. And once Sam was there, once he knew how good it felt, he had to help others reach it too. He wanted to impart the wisdom that he had learned over the years, that while you may have all the markers of success, if you are miserable on your way there, then you failed. Sam finally understood this and wanted to spread the message. 
when I applied as a personal trainer and I got hired. Oh my God. You know, I was so happy. I was like so accomplished. I was on cloud nine. And I remember, you know, getting my first client. I remember her like it was yesterday and just literally giving her so much information, going above and beyond, you know, and, you know, explaining every exercise, checking on her, you know, doing everything. And do that for the second client, a third client, a fourth client, and literally invest myself in their well-being and going all in, not only becoming their personal trainers, but their coach and their friends. so much fun but one part that happened that I struggled with was because I was always brought up and my mom always told me look you can be whatever you want as long as you're willing to put on the work as long as you're willing to pay the price I couldn't understand when people would come in and they'll be crying and saying Sam I'm out of shape I need to get a better shape I'm not happy with the way I look I need your help and next thing you know the next day they start slacking off or they don't show up That really broke my heart. And I soon found out that there is another factor that I didn't account for. Something I didn't anticipate, the psychological factors. There was times that I was so frustrated. I really almost wanted to quit because I'm like, man, I can't deal with this because I went to school to become a personal trainer. I'm not a psychologist. And then after a while, I've learned that when it comes to getting in shape, it's all mental. So if I wanted to succeed as a personal trainer, I need to go above and beyond exercise and nutrition. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, Drew. Can you describe what you see in the sink really quick? <laughs> it looks like a mess. Why is there a mess? We've actually changed our philosophy here at apartment number we clean our dishes now in the dishwasher so my apartment has been washing dishes by hand since we moved in but while i was traveling on the east coast we gained a new roommate christian williams and he's converted the apartment to the dishwashing philosophy of putting the dishes in the dishwasher and running it overnight seems great right Wrong. The problem is that, as you can hear, no one wants to unstack the dishwasher once the dishes are clean. And thus, there are a ton of dirty dishes in the sink. Like and I can't clean my dishes. And you know what? I don't want to subscribe to a world where I can't wash my dishes by hand and promote dish accountability. Christian, what do you have to say about that? I have a massive headache, and this is very overwhelming. And Christian, you know what they say? They say a cluttered sink means you're a dick. Anyway... I don't subscribe to Christian's dishwashing philosophy, but you know what I'll always subscribe to and always rate five stars is finding founders. So support the podcast, subscribe, rate five stars, and tell your friends. Also, follow us on Instagram at Finding Founders Podcast and let us know in the DMs if you think Christian should be evicted. Now, back to the podcast. So I knew most personal trainers just talk about exercise and nutrition, but if you don't know the client's psyche, you don't know their past history, then there's no way you can help them. 
So now, instead of you know calling yourself a personal trainer, say I'm a fitness professional. I sit down and I do a history on them. I get to know what they have tried, what they haven't tried. Fitness had changed Sam's life. It gave him the tools to build himself up into something he was proud of when he came to the U.S. And now Sam was being paid to share this passion with those who needed it most. It was a dream come true. Not only was Sam being paid for the work he truly enjoyed, he felt rewarded by his ability to directly improve other people's lives through his hard work. But just as Sam began to perfect the balance between training and motivation, he discovered that his position as a personal trainer was in jeopardy. I remember this company had like almost a dozen locations and they were doing personal training inside of the LA fitnesses and I was their district manager. So it was like late at night, my boss and his wife said, hey Sam, we want to meet with you at Mimi's Cafe. It's like eight o'clock at night, I've been working 12 hours a day and then my boss said, hey Sam, you know, we're not making it. We're going to have to shut down all of our stores. And I almost lacked out. I'm like, what? Oh my God, like this was like my dream job. So then I called LA Fitness and I said, hey, if this company moves out of here, I want an opportunity to be able to run my business inside of here. Keep in mind, I don't know anything about business structure, marketing, sales or systems. I'm just a technician who knows how to get people in shape. About a few days later, they called me. They said, yep, this company is going out. So we required first month's rent as a deposit. So you need $35,000 to get started. But all I had saved was $20,000. So I remember, but I'm like, dude, I'm $15,000 short. Can't, what am I going to do? So I called my mom. I said, mom, there's this great opportunity. I need a loan. You know, can you give me $20,000? Mom said, okay, no problem. I'll wire you the money tomorrow. So I wrote LA Fitness a check for $35,000, knowing that I only have $20,000 in the bank and counting on my mom sending me the wire next, the next day. And the next day I look at my bank account and the wire didn't come. So I called my mom. I said, mom, did you send that wire? Because I wrote a check. And she goes, yeah, you know the wire, they're going to charge me $50. I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, what'd you do? She goes, oh, I just put a stamp on it and I sent it to you. I'm like, mom, I'm like, I need my money in my account. My check is going to bounce. I'm going to lose this opportunity. What is going on? But thank God LA Fitness didn't deposit my check. So I started my business, and like I said, I didn't know anything. I just went to all the clients who had trainers before, asked them if they want free session. I went back and just provide a value, talk to everybody. I probably give 10 hours of free work to get one client. And here's the thing, before this, I was the worst salesman in the world. In our culture, sales is kind of a scummy thing to do, but once my back was against the wall, it was either make it or go back home and lose all the investment. So I went into crazy mode. I went on there and just try to sign up anybody and everybody for personal training. You know, I was 27. I didn't mind working literally 80 hours a week. And you know, I was making 10, 15 grand a month, but I didn't have a life, but I didn't mind because my life was the gym. Rather than becoming discouraged when his company shut down, Sam took immediate action to fix his situation. One of his biggest obstacles became the same spark that initially fueled Sam's business. Having spent his childhood in the U.S. as a poor immigrant without much of a safety net, Sam didn't have the luxury of being afraid of risk. 
He knew absolutely nothing about business, yet that initial investment forced Sam to become a salesman in a matter of days. But putting up $35,000 for rent barely scratched the surface of what Sam would have to sacrifice to cultivate a successful business. Just as his personal training business began to pick up speed, 2008 pulled the U.S. into a financial crisis. CBS News Special Report, a presidential address to the nation. Evening. This is an extraordinary period for America's economy. Over the past few weeks, many Americans have felt anxiety about their finances and their future. I understand their worry and their frustration. Major financial institutions... Once I started having some success, you know, one thing that I didn't know about is the ups and downs in the economy. I've never experienced an economic downturn. I thought economy is always going to be good. But in 2008, the recession came. I remember, you know, my first child was born in 2009. And I remember sitting in front of my wife in a restaurant, literally crying. She was six months pregnant. And now I feel like such a loser, having all these regrets. Oh my God, Stan, you're gonna be just like your dad. He wasn't around, he never provided for you and you're not gonna be able to provide for your family. My whole why is for me to provide for my family, my children, to have them have opportunities that I never had, have them not experience anything that I've experienced before. When the recession hit, Sam began to second guess all of his decisions. He let fear and regret suck him into a downward spiral. Sam had taken an enormous financial risk to start his business without really understanding the ups and downs of an economy. He felt shocked and unprepared when his earnings were cut by over half in the blink of an eye. It was like the foundation he had been building for years and years suddenly came crumbling down. More than anything, Sam wanted his children to have more opportunities than he had. Growing up, Sam had suffered deeply from the absence of his own father and wanted to make sure his children never experienced that. I never had a relationship with my father. You know, him and my mom got divorced when I was three and never saw him again after that. I remember growing up, my mom struggling, and I told myself, I don't want that for my children. I want them to experience, you know, their dad being there and be able to provide for them. So that was that literally crushed me, literally crushed me. So how did you look forward from that point? What were you looking forward to? I was looking forward to going back and becoming the father that I wanted to be. I was looking forward to getting out of this and show people that I can get out of this, show myself I can get out of this. When life knocks you down, you really have two choices. One is be a victim, complain, and not progress and use that the rest of your life and blame everything and everybody around it. Or get up and do something. It's really that simple. If a recession hits, a recession is not singling me or you. It's just for everybody. So what's going to make you different than anyone else? It's for you to be able to get up and just try to figure out what you're going to do. Sam wanted to be exceptional. 
and he knew that his future relied on how he reacted to the hardship he faced in the present. He had to figure out a way to become productive and innovative despite the economic downturn. He had to rethink fitness. So when in 2008, 2009, the economy downturned, I just got up. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do something. I'm going to be productive. How can I figure this out? How can I get myself out of it? Well, here's the plain truth. Nobody could afford personal training anymore because personal training costs $600 to $800 a month. And I'm like, nobody could afford that no more. So I'm like, how can I be able to be profitable, be able to help people and be able to lower the price? Well, why don't we start doing group training? Why don't we have a few clients with one trainer? They can pay less money, now they can afford it, and see what happens. So we started what I call small group training. Six, eight, ten clients will come in. We have one trainer, train them. And to my surprise, not only they got better results, they had more fun, they actually stayed longer. I didn't think that was possible. I, I thought personal training was the only way to do it. I thought if you want results, personal training is the only way. And I want everyone who's listening to this to understand that just because it was done a certain way doesn't mean it can evolve. People evolve, times evolve, times change, and you always have to have open mind. I was skeptical of group training, but when I actually saw the work, I saw something that I never saw before, the camaraderie. People actually pushing each other, people actually motivating each other. And I then found out that the single most important thing when it comes to people getting in shape or over nutrition, over training, is the support and community, most important part. The skepticism Sam felt in pursuing his new fitness model is not just natural, but an indicator that he's pushing the boundaries of business. He thought of a solution and implemented it right away, despite being skeptical concerning its effectiveness. By experimenting, Sam discovered a tool to combat the lack of motivation he had previously struggled for years to solve. Previously, he had stubbornly believed that personal training was the one holy grail of fitness. But the economic crisis backed him into a corner where the only way out was innovation. funny that sometimes adversity is the catalyst for greater success. Finally, Sam found the beacon of hope that he had been waiting for, something he knew would pull him out of the financial crisis stronger than before. He had stumbled upon a gold mine, and he was ready to go all in. Uh, when we started the first boot camp, you know, I literally had $11,000 in my name. I used 9000 of it, so I only had $2,000 left in the bank. It was so bare bones. It was just concrete floors, some yoga mats, a couple of rubber bands. We had one CD, you know, that played the same music for like literally two years. Because, you know, I had to lease a building, so most of the money go went there. So I didn't have much equipment at all. The way I started building the clientele for the first couple of months, I offered a free Saturday boot camp to the whole community. So people will come in every Saturday for a free workout. And uh, when they come in for a free workout, you know, then I talked to them about signing up and how much they liked it and all that kind of stuff. So we did a lot of free work, a lot of, you know, value proposition up front. 
a lot of giving first. And if you listen to this, man, you know, you always have to give before you ask. You know, just remember that simple principle, give before you ask, give and you shall receive. So we started helping people. And as we started making a little bit of money, then we started like finally buying like an iPod. And after doing that, I'm like, okay, I want to revamp the website. I told people I'm gonna, I want to work with 20 people. I want to lose 20 pounds or more in six weeks. And all I'm asking them to do is give them their before and after pictures and their testimonials. You know, maybe I get 20 testimonials. I told them, hey, here's the deal. You gotta come in five days a week. You gotta do X, Y, and Z, get trained and all that kind of stuff. And at the end, you're gonna give me your before and after pictures and all that kind of stuff. I should have known better because when I did that, most of them didn't finish. Most of them quit two weeks into it. And I was so devastated. Again, remember, I don't understand that psychology. I talked about it earlier. You said you want to do it. I spent all this time and all this effort. I give you my heart. I give you my knowledge. You know, I put a plan together and you don't show up. I don't get it. So I was like really down and out again. I'm like, gosh, man, what am I going to do? How am I going to get people in shape if these people don't want to do it? I can't do it for them. Though this was Sam's first boot camp location, he was no stranger to building a fitness clientele. From personal training, he learned he had to provide upfront value. If he showed people how to get in the best shape of their lives, they'd be running back. But even with this new training model, Sam couldn't get his clients motivated. How could he show them the value of his training if they would quit before they would see the results? Sam needed another tool to motivate his clients. So I talked to one of my mentors. His name is Bill Phillips. We'll tell you how to reach Muscle Media 2000. Now, though, let's get on with it. Here's your host, TC. This month's interview is with none other than Bill Phillips. Three years ago, very few people outside of a very hardcore group of bodybuilders that had read his book, The Anabolic Reference Guide, knew who he was. He's now, of course, the executive editor and publisher of the renegade bodybuilding magazine, Muscle Media 2000. But the public still knows very little about him. He answers any and all letters he gets. He was like a legend. He's like Jack LaLanne. He wrote a book called Body for Life. He owned a supplement company in the 90s called EAS. You know, he's a legend in the community. So I reached out to him. I said, Bill, what is going on? Why does people say they're going to do something and they don't follow through? He said, Sam, that's human nature. Humans are motivated by a prize. He goes, Sam, I got multimillionaires that come here and they have a doctor's note that they, you know, they have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, and they need to get in shape and they won't do it. But if I tell them, hey, I got this cool T-shirt, if you finish the program, they're all about it. For some reason, they do it for the $20 T-shirt, but they don't do it for the help because there's a prize. So I'm like, huh, here's what I'm going to do. The biggest prize will be, I'm going to train them for free. I'm going to have them pay first and then give them the money back when they complete the program. Instead of just come complete the program, I won't charge you. Now I'm saying, hey, look, if you don't complete the program, I'm going to keep your money. But if you complete the program and the results that you're supposed to get, I'm going to give you your money back. So now I get 20 new people that pay what I call a commitment deposit that they're committed to actually finishing the program. And out of 20, 18 of them finished the program and all of them said, hey, I want to keep going. I don't want to stop here. You know, I've lost 20 pounds and I look great. I don't want my money back. I want to keep going. Can I do another six weeks or can I keep a member? I'm like, this is a hoax. Our deal was this guy's come in, I trained them and give them their money back. The night before, I wrote 20 checks for them. And nobody wanted their money back. 
I'm like, ah, oh, this can't happen, man. So let me do another one. So I did another six-week challenge. Took 20 people. They all paid their deposit down. And they finished through literally the same results. I think this time I got like one or two refunds. I'm like, okay, let me do another one because I'm still perplexed like why these people are not taking their money and running. And then when I started doing some research and I started reading a book called Influence by Dr. Robert Cialdani. In, in his book, Influence, he talks about six weapons of influence that we as humans can get influenced by. And one of them is called the law of reciprocity. And the law of reciprocity states this, that when you do something good for someone, they kind of feel obligated to do something good for you. When somebody does something good for you, you feel like, hey man, I kind of feel like in depth that I need to do something for them. Remember, these people have been trying to lose this 20 pounds all their life. They, they try, they try, they try, but somehow two, three weeks into it, they get their favorite food in front of them, they go to a party, they go to Vegas, they give up. So they don't have an incentive to push through. Once they push through that normal barrier that they always get stuck at, they go to this whole new zone that they've never done before. And that's when they fall in love with themselves. And say, wait a second, I could actually do it. Holy shit. And that's when the money doesn't matter anymore. Now it's like, wow, I'm so proud of myself that I want to keep going. And that was the barrier that we're always stuck at and we were able to break. Finally, Sam had found the psychological motivator he'd been looking for. Before, his clients wanted to quit after a few days. And now, after 60 days, they didn't want their money back. They just wanted to keep going. Sam was in disbelief. Once he incentivized his clients to push past their barriers with free training, they began to see results and recognize their own potential. Now money was no longer the incentive. Slowly, his clients began to fall in love with fitness. Sam had discovered the perfect recipe. Now, it was time to expand. We started opening up one in the next town over, one in the next time over, one to the next town over. And then one day, one of the clients who had gone through um, our program and got tremendous results, a husband and wife, and they came up to me in my office and said, Sam, we want to open up our own camp. Would you franchise one to us? I'm like, franchise? I knew what franchising was, but I never thought I was going to be a franchise. So I thought she was joking, you know, because, you know, as a business owner, you get so many people always approaching you with an idea and all that. So I, never, I didn't pay any attention. She kept coming by and kept coming by. And then one day she brought her checkbook. She said, Sam, I'm serious. I want to open up a camp. How much is it? What's going on? I'm like, wow, she's serious. And next thing you know, the word got out that this is a business opportunity. And now, guess what? Everybody wants to buy a camp. As of right now, we have over 110 locations. 110 locations are growing. It happened actually pretty quickly. And again, once you have raving fans, and you have truly helped change people's lives, and people believe in your product, they're willing to invest their own money, and they want to be a part of it. So I'm happy to tell you that over 90% of our franchisees is people who've been our clients before. It's like you work at McDonald's and you love, you love their hamburger so much, you're like, I gotta open up my own. Nobody does that. Finally, Sam's business had become what he had envisioned. His service worked and people couldn't get enough of it. 
When it came time to expand his services, Sam didn't even have to search for business partners. His community of clients had such a deep set belief in Sam's product that they reached out to him. Sam was initially caught off guard by the proposition of turning his business into a franchise. But what makes him such a great entrepreneur is that when he recognizes opportunity, he quickly capitalizes on it. Still, there was one thing left for Sam to perfect, his client's nutrition. After turning his camp into a franchise, Sam had almost everything figured out. Yet he soon realized that an essential component of his fitness empire was missing. He couldn't control his client's nutrition. So Sam took matters into his own hands and created a supplement line specifically tailored to his fitness plans. He was vertically integrating his franchise. Not only did he own where people exercise, but he controlled what they ate. This gave him more control over the quality of his client's experience. So now what? He's built a successful business and delegated effectively to the point where he is needed less and less. He has some free time. Can you tell me about where you are now? Because like you've built this fitness empire, really, all with the simple foundational principle that I just want to help people get in shape. So I guess I want to know where you are today and, and also maybe your plans for the future. I'm in a good place today. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed. All my life, I always had, you know, a little bit of anxiety. If you live in the past, like I did in 2008, that's where depression lives. Because you start going back and regretting, oh, maybe I should have done this, maybe I should have done that. Since you can't go in time and change things that you've already done, it's already done, then there's no reason for you to live in the past. The only thing that you can do from the past is learn. Most of my life, I was always anxious. You know, we came to America, we weren't stable. So if you live in the future and you're always trying to figure out where your next meal is coming from, what's going to happen, that's where anxiety lives. In the past brings depression. You know, living in the future brings anxiety. So all I know what to do is what I can do today. I can't change the past. I can't predict the future. All I'm going to do is try to win one day at a time. And I've never been happier. You know, I worked so hard to get here. Now, what can I do to serve humanity? That's the thing that I'm working on right now. So now I'm doing more coaching for individuals who want to start a business or earn business or, or just want to get in shape or just want to take themselves to the next level. And I think in a couple of years, just for fun, I want to go back and train people. And, and I'm thinking about just like opening up a, a invite-only gym where I work out and I work with very selected people to come in and, and mentor and help and all that kind of stuff. That's what I want to do. After investing countless hours and dollars into his business, everything has paid off. Sam was finally able to ensure the financial stability for his children that he had lacked in his own childhood. Now, Sam is perfectly happy with his current life and just wants to give that joy to others. So he has some advice for you, the people who are listening to this podcast and trying to reach their own visions of success. 
And as long as you persevere, you stay true to your dream and not get the shiny object syndrome, you're going to be okay. You know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, we start something and we want to hit a home run right away. Nobody hits a home run right away. So many people always want to switch from one thing to another thing. They have many skills, but master of none. You know, and you don't want to be jack of all trades and master of none. You want to just go in one thing that you really want to do, go deep in it and become the best at it. The way you become the best at it is just get up every day and work on it. Sam's career has centered around one thing, building. A scrawny, insecure immigrant, Sam came to America undeveloped. But like a bodybuilder, looking in the mirror and pinpointing areas needing growth, Sam took a hard look in the mirror. He realized that he wanted a change and where that change needed to occur. With the help of those around him, he tore muscle, rebuilt again, faced adversity, and overcame it. He's applied the same methodology he learned in the gym to all his subsequent business ventures. And I think it's this framework for problem solving that has sustained his passion and purpose in the face of life's tumult. Like the bodybuilder looking in the mirror, he's able to pinpoint the areas needing growth. And thus, he's able to identify opportunity and seize it. Every time that Sam encounters hardship, he opens his eyes wider and searches for opportunity and starts building. So take a page out of Sam's book. Open your eyes and recognize the opportunity in your life. I think you'd be surprised by what you see. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter by going to findingfounders.co or check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram at Finding Founders Podcast. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Adrian Tapia leads the editing team with Matt Fernandez and Sophia Donner. Sophie Davies leads the writing team with Dan O'Nissen, Joyce Mock, and Elizabeth Bowen. Sahaj Sandhu leads the outreach team with Jessica Lynn, Sasha Ivanova, and Roma Bedeker. Our design team is Phoebe Sajor, Annie Liu, Rachel Dang, James Barton, and Steven Sai. Our events team is Maddie Bozen and Dharma Shah. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.